I want to talk to you this morning about radical Christianity, radical being radically different. That's what we've been talking about a few weeks is difference. And I don't know what you think of when you think of radical. When you think of radical, when you were growing up in my day, radicals were anti-war protesters. Radicals were people who were out marching, protesting the war, protesting big business. Some of you that are my age, you'll remember we were protesting the man, protesting on campuses. I have to say, I wasn't one of the protesters. I wouldn't be alive today if I'd have been one of those protesters because my father would have went ahead and sent me to heaven, signed, sealed, and delivered. Today, when you think about protesters, you know, maybe you think are anti-war or any of those things radically different. Maybe you think about people with tats. Maybe you think about people with body piercings. Maybe you think about people who march in the anti-business or anti-Starbucks. Can you believe that? They're anti-McDonald's or anti-everything has to be small and local. Do you know there's even a, a movement that is anti our local grocery stores because we might buy something that's come from the nation of Chile. We might buy something that was grown in the tropics. And I want to say to those folks, you know, we live up north. It's cold. If we didn't get stuff from down south, we'd starve to death. You know, we need that in our local food markets. But people who are considered radical are often considered on the fringe. Once I was reading a story about a woman that was asked about the anti-abortion clinic protesters. And we will have a, an amendment to vote on in our state elections that are coming up in November that just wants to overturn everything that the recent Supreme Court has ruled with Roe v. Wade here in Michigan. And this lady said, I just cannot stand radical Christians. Radical Christians go against everything that Christianity is all about. And so the conversation went on, and as she talked in the article, it was obvious that she really didn't understand what a radical Christian was. But then towards the end of the article, as they were talking more about what people protest, she said, you know, the one protester I'm not against is anti-war protesters. I think we need to be out protesting military and war. And I thought, that is so much like all of us, not just people who disagree with us, but so much like all of us. Everything is unacceptable unless we think it's acceptable. And so we, we find the room and the ability to talk to one another decreasing rather than increasing. Years ago, when I was still a student at Southeastern, I met a man by the name of Mark Montaigne. Mark moved his family to Kolkata, India. And there Mark began a ministry of feeding the hungry, caring for the sick. He and Mother Teresa, he and Hulda Buntain, who became very good friends with Mother Teresa. Hulda's been in our pulpit. She's in heaven now, and you've heard her talk and heard her preach the gospel. I've had the privilege of preaching in their church. I've had the privilege of teaching in their schools. I've had the privilege of working in the orphanages and traveling throughout the country. Kolkata is a place that, the best way I know how to describe it, the pollution is so severe, you can taste it. 
You constantly feel the need to wash the pollution off your body. It's in the air. It's wherever you go. It's, and I don't mean to be offensive, but it's the kind of place that people urinate and defecate on the street. It's a filthy city. You go down and you watch them worship idols or go into the river to worship the rivers. The dogs, the cats walk wherever they please. And poverty, poverty that will literally shock you. Poverty that will rock you to your core. It's not a fun place. Now, I have to admit, I loved the people I met there. I loved being there. But it's not a fun place. It's a place in India where Christians often get killed for their faith. It's a place where people like Mark and Hulda Buntain make a radical decision like Mark and Mindy have made that these people also deserve to hear what you and I hear every week. That these people need to know the Jesus that you and I know and serve that they've often not heard about. I was talking to my son Christopher last week. Christopher, who spent two years overseas, a year in Nepal doing reconstruction work, and I have pictures Chris sent me of him having to wear face masks because the pollution was so bad in Kathmandu. Pictures he sent me of poverty again that was just overwhelming and heartbreaking. So I called or talked to Chris this week as I was preparing for this message, and I said, Chris, Answer a question for me. Do you miss living in Nepal? Do you miss being in Nepal? He says, Dad, yeah, I miss it. I miss the people. I miss the city. I miss the church. He says, it's filthy. There's so many challenges. It's illegal to evangelize. It's called proselytizing there. He says, he said, but I love them. He said, I miss them. And I watched my son's face as he began to describe and Then later, he and his wife, Rachel, talked to us about their desire and going back into missions and their preparation for it. And I thought to myself, for a young couple with a master's degrees, young couple who prepared themselves, young couple who are skilled in what they do, here they are. It's kind of radical not to be pursuing the American dream and the idea of success that we often talk about but they want to give their lives to Jesus to go and to serve in places that you and I would find difficult to even visit, much less live. For some reason or another, it brought back a movie that I watched with some of the teenagers here at the church, and I can't remember which one it was, but it was Iron Man, and Iron Man is getting on to Peter Parker, and he's descending on top of a building, he's blessing, well not blessing, he's chewing Peter Parker out and the end result was he, Peter Parker had done just the opposite of what the Iron Man had told him to do and so he told him, he says, I need the suit back I gotta have the suit back and Peter Parker says these words, I'll never forget them cause they know I will pull out my iPhone and write a note cause I'll go, that will preach and Peter Parker says, I'm nothing without this suit And Iron Man looks at him and says, if that's true, then you don't need it. If that's true, then you don't need it. You see, radical Christianity says to you and me, Christ is more than enough. Radical Christianity says to me that Christ in me, the hope of glory, 
Whether I have an education, whether I live in America, or whether I live in Kolkata, Christ is more than enough. Radical Christianity says that I don't need the outward accoutrements of this world. I don't need the outward signs of success. I don't need what the world thinks I have to have to get ahead. If I have Christ, that's more than enough. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? He's Lord of everything. Those of you who joined Becky and I for prayer last night, that's a radical step to take, to stop your busy Saturday or your fun Saturday and to give an hour to join with us on Facebook and go to your prayer closet or go to your chair and to kneel down and to pray for missionaries and to pray for those with cancer and heart disease, to pray for abused children and to believe that somehow or another we are touching the throne of heaven and that as a result of our prayers, God is moving breaking chains and removing yokes and setting people free. That's radical Christianity. It's what gets us up in the morning before we start our day and we want to read the word of the Lord and we want to kneel and to pray. Radical Christianity is people who pray and fast for the sick in our congregation, people who give to missions like you just did because you could do so much more, but you believe that the cross of Christ matters. I have nothing against tattoos. I have nothing against body piercing. I serve a pierced but risen Savior this morning. His hands and feet and side were pierced for me. But not many of us in this congregation are tat. Not many of us are pierced but we are radical because we have chosen to take up our cross and follow after Christ. And we believe his words that unless you are willing, look at me, don't miss this, look at me, I'm your pastor, I love you, that unless we are willing to take up his cross and follow him, then we are not worthy of him. That's radical. You see, Chris, nor myself, nor Mark and Mindy, it's not that we're addicted to adrenaline, but we love Jesus Christ with all of our heart. Not too long ago in a meeting here in our community, I was called a radical Christian. I took that as a great compliment. <laughs> Matter of fact, if it wouldn't be like wearing your faith on your sleeve, I'd put it on my chest. I'd put it on a radical Christian. But the thing that I was accused of being radical for, I was like, you just don't know how radical I am then. <laughs> and the sisters, Christians really believe that. And I go, yeah, we, this is what we believe. And, and I realize the person I'm talking to, I'm just having to... You know how when you put a lure out there in the water, you just kind of got to work it a little bit, work it a little bit until they get enough interested, they're ready to bite and you can snag them. I just, I know I can't snag too quick. They said, but that is so radical and it's not important what it is. It's, it's important to understand that you and I understand what radical Christianity is because if you are a Christian, and I'm saying to this, our online congregation as well, if you are a Christian, you're going to go against the tide of the world that we're living in today. 
You are going to be swimming against the stream. You are going to be going against the culture that we're living in if you're a Christian. Pastor Tim Keller said it in a way that I couldn't improve upon. So let me read this sentence to you before we go to the scriptures this morning. Pastor Keller said, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe, but you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Would you read that with me this morning? Here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe, but you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Now, here's what some people in the world hear when they hear the word gospel. Next slide, please. Here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe. You see, that's not the gospel. That's not good news to tell me I'm more sinful than I ever dared believe. Here's what other people hear when they hear the word gospel. If you'll put up the next slide. Here's the gospel. You're more loved than you ever dared hope. But that's not the gospel either. Both statements by themselves are true. I am more sinful than I ever dared believe. I am more loved than I ever dared hope. But the gospel is not either statement isolated. The gospel is this, and read it with me again. Here's the gospel. You are more sinful than you ever dared believe. You are more loved than you ever dared hope. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Now leave that up for just a moment because it's important to get this deep into your heart. If I wasn't sinful, there was no need for Christ to come and die for my sins at Calvary. The gospel is good news that I am a sinner, that I am going to hell. I am separated from God eternally. The gospel tells me the bad news along with the good news, but it also tells me there is hope. And this is the gospel that because God so loved this world, he wasn't content to leave me in my sin. He loved me more than I ever dared hope. You are loved this morning. Can you say amen to that? You are loved. No matter how sinful you are, you are loved. It's not a matter of how good I am or good I've been or how many good works I've done. None of those could even begin to pay a smidgen of the sinfulness of my life. But to be so loved that Jesus would come and take our sins upon himself. Boy, that makes this passage of Scripture so relevant. So if you would, stand with me this morning. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Now notice, it didn't say you were a rolling stone. A rolling stone isn't doing anybody any good. You're a living stone built into a living temple, a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest to the mediation of Jesus Christ. You offer spiritual sacrifices that pleases God. And scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone of Jerusalem. A cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. I'm placing the cornerstone of Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone the builders rejected has now become 
the cornerstone. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. But you, you're a chosen people. You, you're a royal priesthood. You, you're a holy nation. You, you are God's special possession. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Heavenly Father, help me to be thorough, but help me, O Lord, to be brief so that this soaks into our hearts, Lord, like the autumn rain that finishes the job of bringing the harvest in, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. You've heard this statement so many times from so many people, so many authors, so many bloggers, so many preachers, but it's important to know who you are in Christ. You see, you can't be radical until you know who you are in Christ. I was looking at a stone, large rock. I was watching the groundskeepers mow, and they mowed around the rock, and then later the, the person that does the trimming weeded around the rock, and I thought to myself at this place that we were staying, why would you just put a single solitary rock on the lawn? I mean, it wasn't big enough to really picnic on or to recline on. I guess you could squat and sit down on it, but it's just a rock. You see, a stone by itself is just a stone, but when you take a stone and put it with other stones and begin to build a temple out of it or a home out of it or a church out of it, then suddenly the stone becomes something, part of something that is greater than itself. And so Paul uses this imagery to help us understand that by ourselves we are nothing, but together in Christ we are part of something that is living and powerful in 1 Peter 2, 5, he says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. It tells me I, I can't, you can't live in spiritual isolation. And maybe I could just toss this out to you this morning online. Maybe you, you wrestled, maybe you kind of hesitated and thought, well, I, I'd really like to go to church this morning, but maybe it was just easier... I worry, I don't want you to live in spiritual isolation. There's something about us coming together to worship together. We really do need each other. Can you say amen? If we didn't, God wouldn't have called us to be a church. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Now, think about what happened to Christ at Calvary. Paul says, my old self, my sinless, sinful self, was crucified in Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. C.S. Lewis said, it is when I turn to Christ and when I give myself up to his personality that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. Christ gives you the confidence for authentic self-expression. Christ gives you the confidence to become authentically who God created you to be rather than being a 
copycat or a cheap imitation of somebody else or some other fad or some other radical anti-movement of this or that. Christ helps us to become who we are. I hope we understand that this morning. We are a people. Passionate followers are a people possessed by Jesus Christ of infinite spiritual, physical, emotional power. Through our God, all things are possible. Think about that. We are possessed by Christ. We live in Him. He lives in us. Andrew Murray said, impossibilities made possible and actual by God's actual power. As we worship this morning, do you realize that every act of worship as we sang, as we came to church early, we greeted one another. I felt so sorry for poor Pastor Corey this morning. He's trying to move on with the service, and all of you are fellowshipping. That's a part of our worshiping. You're talking. You're laughing. He's talking to our online congregation, and everybody's glad to be together. But do you realize that every act of worship, whether it's our fellowship, our prayer, our giving, our attending to the word of the Lord, receiving communion like we will do in a few minutes, every act of worship is a part of us healing ourselves, a part of us being healed by the presence and the power of Jesus Christ that is here among us. You can't worship God without something supernatural happen in your life. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. I don't know if you remember in the Harry Potter stories, the first book, Dumbledore lets Harry look into a mirror. The mirror is called Erised. And when he looks into the mirror, he sees his mother and he sees his father that he's never seen before. They died when he was just a baby. And he sees them and they're smiling. And he, he calls over his best friend and he says, look in the mirror. And his friend doesn't see his Harry's parents, but he sees himself doing what he wants to do and being who he wants to be, and he starts talking about what a good-looking guy he is, and Dumbledore warns them that Erised reveals what's in your heart. It's desire spelled backwards. And when you look at God, somehow or another, God begins to straighten out and line up the desires of our heart so that we live authentic Christian lives. Secondly, we are chosen. <laughs> Look at that. We're chosen. We used to tell our kids we've never made it a secret. We've always been forthright and upfront with them about adoption. We chose you. We chose you. We loved you. You're not an accident. God wanted you here. God used your birth parents' DNA. He wanted to get you here. You are not an accident. God wanted you in our family. You are chosen. But you see, I have to kind of zero in on this for a moment when we talk about radical Christianity because sometimes as Christians, we, we tend to take that for granted. I'm chosen. I've been saved. I've been, I, I'm a part of the family. Well, so was King Saul. Saul was chosen. He Remember, he was the Lord's anointed. David wouldn't even, wouldn't even harm him. But Saul was rejected. And the reason Saul was rejected, because his heart denied God. 
by his lifestyle, by his choices, by his actions. David, who made his many bad mistakes, David, who made his many horrible decisions as Saul made, David, who committed adultery, David, who had a man murdered, David was accepted. And you ask, why was Saul rejected? He was chosen. And why was David accepted? It's because David's heart was full of God. He was a man after God's own heart. And unlike Saul, who would not repent, David repented and prayed, Lord, let not your Holy Spirit depart from me. To be chosen doesn't mean we're perfect. To be chosen doesn't mean we never fail, but to be chosen means we humble ourselves And we seek him and pursue him. He says in that same passage of scripture, we are royal priests. Royal priest? I got to admit, I'm not an Anglophile, so I'm sorry Queen Elizabeth died, but I have just really been puzzled at all the Americans crying over Queen Elizabeth. There's a lot more to cry over in America than Queen Elizabeth today. Now, do me a favor, don't tell my wife I said that from the pulpit, because my wife is Anglophile, everything, you know. She's anything to do with England, and it doesn't hurt that she's Scottish descent, but she's just all about this stuff. And so I know more about Queen Elizabeth than I ever wanted to know in my whole life. But you, here's what you have to understand, because I want to put these two together. We are royal priests No Jew would have ever thought of himself as being a king because as Becky reminded me, the new king, King Charles, King Charles didn't have to earn his position. King Charles didn't have to do anything. He didn't get it by merit. He he wasn't promoted because of anything good. He was born to be a king. No Jew would have ever thought of themselves as a king because you had to be born to be a king or anointed by God to be a king. No Jew would have ever thought of being a priest because the priest only came from the priestly family line. And furthermore, listen, the priest was thought of more highly than the king because the king could only rule in the affairs of the people, but the priest could represent the king and could represent the people before God and offer sacrifices before God. And so for the New Testament to tell those Jewish Christians that were reading this, you are royal priests. God has just elevated them, not to a position that we've earned by merit, not to a position that we deserve, but a position we have by grace because Christ washed our sins away at Calvary. Somebody say amen this morning. Hallelujah. That's radical. Do you understand? That's radical. None of us deserve the place or the position that we have in Christ. What's more, 1 Peter 2, 5, you are his holy priests through the mediation of Jesus Christ you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Listen to what William Barclay said. The priest is the man who builds a bridge for others to come to God. And the Christian has the duty and the privilege of bringing others to the Savior to whom him, who he himself found and loved. Oh, that's why I laughed so hard when Mindy said to Mark, you're a pastor. Get out and go pray for them. Can I say to you this morning, you're a royal priest. Get out and go love the world in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. That's who you are. Martin Luther said, not only are we the freest of kings, we are also priests forever, which is far more excellent than being kings. For as priests, 
We are worthy to appear before God to pray for others and to teach one another divine things. You're a priest. Pray every day for others beside yourself. Pray for me. Intercede for me. Fourthly, we are citizens of a holy nation. This is almost uncomfortable saying in the culture we live in when we've got so many different fringe groups that are radical calling for a holy nation, nationalist, fundamentalistic Islam movements. But without reference to any of those this morning, we're called to be a holy nation. We're not known because of our violence. We're not known because of our abusive rhetoric. We're known by our love and our peace and our joy and our patience, our kindness, our long-suffering, our self-control. That's what the Bible describes as the fruit of holiness. Now, lest you think, look at me, listen, those of you online, listen, lest you think, because somebody recently asked me this question, that holiness is, is weak and it's somehow another effete or feminine. Let me tell you something. Holiness is powerful. Holiness will overcome all that hate. Holiness will overcome all the violence. Holiness will come all of the perversion. For our God is a holy, consuming God, and our God is love this morning. That's how the Bible describes him. Can we give him another hand of praise for that? You've got to think these things through. And then finally this morning, we are God's special possession. Oh, I love that. God's very own special possession. Once I lived condemned, once I lived in my sins condemned, once I lived in my sins on my way to hell, but because of the grace of Christ and what Christ did for me, I found mercy. Ananias went to Saul, who Saul had been persecuting Christians. Saul was there giving permission and endorsing the, the murder of Stephen as Stephen died and Stephen prayed, Lord, lay not this into their charge. When God finally knocked Saul off his donkey and Saul came to know the Lord, he sent a man named Ananias to him. Ananias was rightly afraid to go pray for Saul. But God spoke to Ananias and said, I have chosen Saul. God chose you. God chose you. God chose you. I have chosen Saul. And Ananias does something you will not find in the Old Testament. Ananias does something that when I'm going to say it, you're going to go, big deal. It is a big deal. It's because we take it for granted that we don't realize what a big deal it is. Ananias said these words to Saul because Jewish people are very family-oriented. They're of the tribe of Levi or they're of the tribe of Issachar. African people are very tribal. They're of the Hutu tribe or another tribe. Americans are becoming like that. We're Hispanic American, Asian American, uh, whatever kind of American you can think of. And he goes to Saul and he says these two words, Brother Saul. You see, we are a family. And God has called us together as a family. Church is not a place we go. This building is not the church. Church is who we are. Can I say that again? Church is who we are. Now I'm going to ask you to do something a little unusual for our Sunday morning service. I'm going to ask you to come with your communion and join me down front this morning. Becky is going to be playing I Surrender All. But before you come hastily, stop and listen. 
If you're physically not able, I understand. Please don't feel embarrassed to stay in your chair. If you're concerned about COVID, I understand. But if you're confident like I am, I want you to bring your communion because, listen, church is not a place we go. Church is who we are. You see, radical, let me tell you what radical really means. Radical means to be rooted. Radical means to be grounded. In mathematics, in science, in agriculture, if you break down the word radical, radical is not about being anti-Starbucks, anti-war. Radical is not about tats or piercings. Radical is to be exactly what the Bible calls us to be, rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? So with that in mind, would you bring your communion and come join me here at the altar this morning? going to call us now through repentance through the blood of Jesus to do what Pastor Corey asked us to do every single week search our hearts to do what David did that's a scary prayer see if there be any wicked way in me and if there is to confess it and let's let Jesus inoculate us against the culture of this world by the blood of Christ can you say amen I, matter of fact if you'll let me say this I want to be infected by the blood of Jesus this morning I want his blood coursing through my veins and I know you do as well Jesus we hold bread in our hands that you gave to us as a symbol of not only your crucifixion, your death and burial, but your resurrection as well. You were so radical, Jesus. You went against the tide of the political empire of Rome. You went against the tide of the misunderstanding of the Jewish religion by the priest in the Sanhedrin. You went against the favor of the crowds and you bore our sins to Calvary. So this morning, we want to be rooted. We want to be grounded in you, Lord. And we confess we are who you say we are. And like David, we ask you, forgive us of our sins and take not your Holy Spirit from us, we pray. Thank you for the bread. Would you break and eat with me this morning? Hmm. Hallelujah. All to Jesus I surrender. 
all to him I freely give. We will ever love and trust you and in your presence daily live. Now, Father, we take the cup in our hands. Lord, you know my heart. I don't mean to be cute. I believe this. Inoculate us against the culture, the values, the pressures of this world. May we be radical Christians, Lord. May we be the church chosen, royal priest, your special possession, a spiritual temple that the Spirit of God abides in. And then send us forth from this place radically changed. You gave us this cup as a symbol of your shed blood, but a promise you are coming again. So we take it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's drink together. Hallelujah. Lift your hands. Hallelujah. Come, Holy Spirit, fall upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, and descend upon us in your presence today. Come, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Now may the Lord who is faithful, may the Lord who he himself has risen from the dead and poured out his Holy Spirit upon us, may the Lord he himself comfort your hearts by his Holy Spirit. May the Lord he himself dwell in you by faith and may you walk out of here possessed by his presence and may impossibilities become possible for you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Go in peace this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Woodland Church and our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.